Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here. I've got Heather Shoemaker on the phone with me as always. And Heather, we've got a guest with us today. Who are we talking to? Yeah, I'm delighted that we have guest um, Anthony Benedict, and he is the author of a couple books and um, a playful guy. In fact, the next book that he has out is called Playful Intelligence. So um, we're excited to talk to him today. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks, Heather. It's great to be here. Yeah, and if if you've um, ever seen a copy of uh, It's Okay Not to Share, listeners, Anthony's quote is right on the top of my book because he's <laughs> one of the first people that discovered that even though my ideas were kind of renegade, they, that they weren't completely uh, out there. <laughs> so, so he's been associated with It's Okay Not to Share since the very beginning. But I'm thrilled for you that you have a new book um, Tell us a little bit about Playful Intelligence. What is it about, and why did you write this one as your next book? Yeah, I first kind of I first became interested in the study of play when I was a new dad, kind of trying to figure out how to connect with my daughter Ava, and that that turned into kind of this this desperation that I called the art of roughhousing, which was the first book that I wrote. Oh gosh, now eight years ago, but more recently. Um, I, my life was colliding with what I call Barry's crossroad. <laughs> and it's a, it's a crossroad that I think we all come to at some point in our adult lives. And it's, it's kind of when you find yourself doing everything you can to endure adulthood <laughs> um, while wondering whether you're actually enjoying it. And what was happening, so I came to this, this thing called Barry's crossroad several years ago, and my life was kind of blurring into this frazzled mosaic of busyness and exhaustion and perfectionism. And as I look back, and I didn't actually mention this in Playful Intelligence in the book, but I think I think that I was, I, I mentioned the frazzledness, but I, I didn't kind of really spell it out. And I think what I was on the verge of is really full burnout. I was essentially 70% there. I was doing my clinical work as a physician and trying to do my parenting work and then everything else that goes along with the responsibilities of adulthood. And what I realized, um, and I actually wasn't really thinking about play at the time, but I, what I realized and trying to kind of dig into it was that the playful parts of my personality were kind of being erased by the intensity and seriousness of, of really just daily adult life. And that's... We're juggling being... Yeah. Time doctor, having three kids, is that right? And right. Living right. and finding time for sleep and all those things that all of us try to, to balance. Right. Exactly right. <laughs> and that's, yeah, and that's, in, you know, in the early 1900s when adulthood was kind of overtaking James Barry, that's why I call it Barry's Crossroad, same thing was happening to him. He decided to write a play, as we all know, you know, a play about a boy named Peter who didn't want to grow up. 
Um, and that was really James Barry's attempt as a playwright to hold on to his childhood wisdom that he thought was kind of fast escaping him amid the craziness of adulthood. I felt a very similar thing. I didn't go and write a <laughs> generational amazing play, but not um, yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I tried to kind of go on this quest to really figure out how playfulness actually affects adult life uh, in today's age. And so I began observing and kind of interviewing people who live with a little lighter step, um, who kind of live a little more on the playful side of the coin, whereas I feel like I've always lived on kind of the seriousness and intensity side of the coin. Um, so I kind of I started studying these folks, and a lot of them were my patients, in fact. Um, who <laughs> I know. It's fun to be a patient than a doctor, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> right. I mean, I think, and I think what was amazing is that I, you know, I'm seeing patients who are, you know, coming on the, you know, crossroads of kind of the, you know, great, great, you know, hard times in their life, you know, the intimate moments of, of disease. And yet they're somehow able to maintain um, some lightness and some playfulness. And I, and I saw that really helping them in a lot of ways through the experience. It doesn't necessarily cure their disease or their ailments, but it definitely helps their experience. And so I kind of took an interest in that. And then I also just kind of started looking at kind of playfulness research in adulthood, which really doesn't exist. Um, so then kind of had to branch into other disciplines like psychology and sociology and, and kind of did a cross-discipline search and to try to really figure out how playfulness affects our lives. Right. So this is That's sort of a search to regain happiness as an adult, even though we still have all our responsibilities, but how can we keep ourselves enjoying this wonderful thing called life, even exactly. though we may have stresses and jobs and, and kids and all these things. Exactly. And one thing you looked into was um, – the difference of just play and playfulness, because you could say, oh, we need to play more. Maybe people think I need to go join a, a local volleyball team and play, or I don't have time for that. But you're talking about just being playful in the moment. Yes. No, that's exactly, that is the big, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Heather, because that is the big takeaway, I would say, from the book, is that the book does not necessarily advocate go on more vacations or join more clubs or get out more. The book is much more of think about a playful mindset when you are engaging in your everyday life. Now, yes, you're not always going to have a playful mindset about things, but try to kind of unpack that mindset that's been stored away since you were a child. And the interesting data point that I often reference is um, when you look at leisure time in American society, and that's really the only cross metric that we have to measure are people actually playing are adults actually playing and when you look at leisure time through the american um, labor and statistics uh, time use survey our leisure time has not changed over the past 50 years we're all spending on average every day five hours of leisure time now Ow, what is I that wonder yeah. where it all goes yeah, where is that? Right, right. My day. <laughs> but what's interesting about that is so that we're still spending that leisure time. So technically we're still, whatever that means, whether that's, you know, going on, you know, taking a break, doing exercise, watching TV, going outside, whatever that is, we're still really doing the same amount of time that we've done for 50 years. But when you look at our stress level, the stress level in the U S is the highest it's ever been. And it's been rising over the past 10 years. 
So you try to mix those two data points, and it's hard to do other than saying, well, maybe when we're actually playing, we're not really playing. Are we still connected to our work, for instance? Are we still connected to our devices? Are we thinking about when we have to go pick up our kids? When or when we have to do our next thing tomorrow? And that's really what kind of one of the big take-homes of the book is, is that is to try to think about developing a playful mindset um, as you go about your life and as you're actually playing um, to get the most out of that. And the way the book, the, the way that I think it works best, and at least in the people I've interviewed, who is that is to actually think about playful behaviors. Um, and there's five that I mentioned in the book, imagination, sociability, humor, spontaneity, and wonder. And these are all behaviors that we, you know, engage in, but are we actually really understanding what they're doing for us in our lives to lighten the intensity of our lives? And which ones do you find that, that you were sort of, um, you find it's the most yeah. useful to remember to do that's really helped. I'm assuming that you're feeling more yeah. playful these days. So. <laughs> I, I, am, I, I am by far not there yet, but it has helped me a lot, I think, just to have the framework of it in my mind. Um, so I'll give you like one example would be, um, so wonder is the, is the final playful behavior that I talk about. And wonder is my favorite because um, it's, it's, it's a playful quality that unlike a lot of other emotions or playful qualities, it actually urges inaction rather than action. Um, it urges us to kind of just take a breath and slow down. Um, you know, the old adage of take time to smell the roses. Um, it's kind of like that. Uh, I go into a little bit of more detail on that in the book, but it's my favorite because that kind of being able to stop and feel awe about something, whether it's, it doesn't have to be the Grand Canyon. That's a, it's a big point is that sometimes our wonder thresholds as adults are really, really high, meaning that we have to see the Grand Canyon or we have to see Hamilton or whatever to make us feel wonder or awe. Um, yeah, I'd like to get tickets to Hamilton. <laughs> me too. <laughs> But but, no, but but yeah. when I take my morning walk, I've been seeing some gorgeous sunrises lately. They're just um, you know so dark most of the time we're entering. But the sunrises have been spectacular, and they do make me stop in my tracks. Yeah, and I mean I think that that's and that's where we have to. That's where I had to at least as you know in my adult life check in with myself is how where is my wonder threshold. To, to feel what wonder actually does for us, which is restorative. I mean, it restores us. It basically helps us regroup. And that in and of itself, and I go into some of this stuff in the book, is, is not only good for our you know, mental health, but probably good for our physical health too. Um, and what, you know, in terms of wonder, one of the things that I, that I, I have this section in the book called Wonder Rehab. You know, how can we actually as adults get our wonder thrush? Just like you go to physical rehab if you have an injury of your, you know, physical injury. One way you, might be to hang around a young child. Yes, that's exactly it. So that's one of the, the things that I talk about is the idea of looking at children not as 
annoying. I mean, we all know that children in our work are our biggest stressors as adults, but to try to reframe that a little bit and look at, try to see the wonder and awe, because everything in a child's world is very new and exciting. And that'll help kind of remind you, you know, in your own life to keep a low threshold. It's not easy, but I think it, you know, I think with some work and practice, it can be achieved. Um, the other thing I think related to that, that I would say um, for those listening is that, and the other big thing that I found is that playfulness in adulthood works a lot differently than it did when we were kids. Uh, and that can be kind of scary, but it also can be kind of exciting. And I'll use wonder again as, as our kind of running example. When we were kids, wonder was all about launching, you know, our minds into kind of a different orbit and curiosity and learning. And a lot of wonder was, was really tied to education. You know, if you can approach something with a wondrous spirit um, and kind of curiosity, which is an associated emotion, that you're more likely to retain whatever you're learning and enjoy whatever you're learning. For adults, it's a little bit different. Wonder is actually not so much a launching force, but more of a grounding force, like we were talking about. Um, it's much more of something that just takes us down, helps us find you know, our center, and helps us kind of you know, feel small, which is good. <laughs> you know, it's good. I know that sounds crazy, but it's good, you know, to feel small in the sense of we belong to a bigger kind of vast company of the world. And that's what, yeah. Did I lose you? No. No, no. <laughs> We're so full of wonder that. So, I, I, I'm like, oh no, my phone died. <laughs> no, actually, Anthony, you've got great podcast voice. I'm, I'm just mesmerized listening to you. So this morning, I'm out for a walk with my uh, my two dogs, a husky and a mostly husky, and they lunge into a shrub, which I mean happens on a regular basis. And I kind of yank them out of the shrub, and we get we continue on our walk, and then this tomcat walks out of the shrub. And instead of being scared of these two big dogs, this tomcat walks towards us. It's kind of like, uh, br bring it on, guys. And the dogs, <laughs> the dogs want to go back for more. And so we take a step in the cat's direction, and the, the, cat, the cat keeps coming forward. And, well, in this moment, these dogs are just about ripping my arm out of its socket. I'm, I'm experiencing what you're talking about here. It's just, first, I feel small because these dogs could totally drag me down the street if they wanted to. <laughs> but, but the wonder that this, this cat that we've never met before is just kind of going hey bring it on guys is it it brought me this sense of joy that i i really wasn't expecting um and in those moments yes. i mean years ago i i was at a place where that, it just would have pissed me off for the rest of the day um because you know dog I'd be, i would have been mad at the dogs all day but this all is right. just this is just one of those moments that happens in life where it's just it's just wow, and you kind of you kind of ride through it, and you you take on that that you you use the term wonder. I, I like the the word joy for these moments yes. where where yes. you just you just let it be, and it's it's it, it's just about the mindset you bring to those experiences. I think. I think so too. That's exactly right. The other and example. Also, I oh, yeah, think if ahead. you're stuck in if you're stuck in feeling like you haven't had if you're mad at the dogs if you're in that place right. in your life <laughs> then put yourself right. around people who make you laugh because whether that's 
adults or kids or dogs or <laughs> whatever it is, because it's those that can help us laugh the most that gets, helps us get to that place. Um, I get a daily doses of lots of laughter from my very laughable children. <laughs> and my husband, I think the reason I married him is that he makes me laugh. Right. You know, and that's such an essential part of, of human health. Um, and they have all these laugh clubs, too, for adults where you, you gather together and you all do belly laughs for, for an hour. And it just is very good for your mental health right. and your sociability. So um, if, you're, if, if you're listening and you're feeling stuck like you're mad at the dogs, <laughs> then, um, yeah, get, get, get near people. There's some people that will be in your life that do laugh a lot and get near those people and get it to rub off on you. So right, Heather, and I, I, you know, humor is one of the chapters in the book too, and it it is to kind of go back to that juxtaposition of what playfulness is like when we're kids uh, compared to what it's like when we're adults. And humor when we were kids was all about having fun. You know, you, kids are laughing, and it's all about pure fun and kind of getting lost in the moment. And when we become adults, I think it's still some to some extent about fun, but it becomes more, it becomes deeper than that. It becomes more about connection, um, you know, connection in our relationships, connection in our work relationships, any kind of relationships. And then it also becomes about resilience. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen, you know, the hardest moments in somebody's life at bedside. And there's a small memory that's recalled or some type of a humorous, um, you know, side note, and it, it helps. It really, really helps. It not only connects everyone around the bedside, but it, it, um, I think gives a person who is actively dying a, you know, a psychological distance from what's actually happening. So that's, that's cool stuff when you, you know, when you think about it. Yeah, and I think um, making sure that these connections we make are are with all ages um, throughout our totally. lives. Because when we start out as a child, usually we have their connections with our family and then with peers our own age. There's a lot of age-segregated friendships, partly because of the way the schools go. You know, you're with your own grade. Totally. And then we sort of fall into that. We're only friends with our own age. And I remember I had two my two grandmothers were opposites, and one of them only had friends her age, and they all started dying. You know, when she, <laughs> she was a grandmother age, when I knew her, right, they right. were. She was losing friends every year. There'd be another one gone, another one gone. Whereas my other grandmother said, "Always make friends of every age throughout your life." So at an eighty-year-old, she was making friends with three and four-year-olds. She was making friends with twenty-year-olds. She was making friends every age of her life with all ages, older and younger. And I, I think that. that that sustains us and draws those connections because it's pretty fun. I just met someone at a conference who, um, you know, is is a little older than I am, and I'm turning fifty next year, so I'm getting wow. getting up there. But she's a little older than I am, and she was connecting with a whole bunch of millennials on um, uh-huh. on one of these things. I don't know what it is, Zoom or Skype or but something. And once a week they'd connect, and she would just learn so much from the 20-somethings, and they would learn a lot from her. So, um, you know, she's now my new totally. favorite millennial. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Hey, Anthony, I'm wondering, since you made this effort to get more playful in your own life, how has that impacted your relationships with your children? Because I think there's a, there's a, there's a huge connection there between our, our mindsets and outlooks as adults and, and how we interact with the, the younger people in our lives. So did you notice anything going on there? Yeah, I, you know, I, I would say number one is, as we all know, you know, as parents know, it is the hardest job in the world and the most rewarding job in the world. And I think that I was, when I was kind of, you know, when everything was was kind of, you know, at the Barry's crossroad trying to figure it out, um, I would say that what was happening was I was, and this was with my children and probably also with work colleagues, that I was just becoming irritated more easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like there was no so fear. And no one wanted to be around you. I know. I felt like I was just like irritated. Every little thing would just kind of upset me. And I think in the work on this book, if anything that's happened is that my, my fuse has become much longer. Um, and I've kind of regained some of my patience. And I've done that in a lot of ways of just trying to live lighter and let some things roll off of me. And then, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, and I've learned a lot of that from Heather, you know, the idea of backing away <laughs> from your kids as parents sometimes is the most useful thing to do. And so I think, yeah, and I, I hope, hopefully my kids would say I'm less here. Irritable. <laughs> <laughs> you better quiz them after this because they'll be the ones to really right. let you know. That's right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're listening to this, um, there's ideas um, in a lot of parenting books. It's okay not to share um, the ones that are. Um, uh, I, I'm losing the. Oh, um, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. They talk a lot about putting humor in when you're talking to kids. So instead of nagging them to say, oh, you didn't pick up this, you know, in your room, you can you can turn it into something funny. Oh, no, you know, if they left the cereal box out and they, or they didn't put the milk away. Oh, no, the milk is so sad and lonely. <laughs> you go melodramatic and make it humorous. They are attracted to anything fun. They'll tune out the nagging voice, but they'll tune into something funny. So what's wrong with being funny? You're alone in your home with your kids. You might as well be funny or at least try to be funny and they'll let you know if you <laughs> <laughs> they're not. Or if you're just stuck with dad jokes or mom jokes. That's a <laughs> yep. level of humor of its own, I guess. So tell people where they can find the book and, um, and how they can become more playful by, by um, getting through this J.M. Barry crossroads and coming out the other side. Yeah. So the book is found basically any bookstore. It's also found for the Michigan listeners in Cherry Republic, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. The, uh, the reason for that is that there's a, uh, I use a lot of stories in the book. So the, the book kind of blends stories with science and there's a, there's a big piece on Cherry Republic and Bob Sutherland, who is the founder of that store, but Amazon He's bookstores. Playful, by the way. He is, he sure is. I love Bob. And, um, so Amazon bookstores and yeah. And I think that, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is for those who do pick it up, pick up the book is that it's sometimes it can take a conscious effort to be more playful as an adult. And that's okay. That's normal. Uh, adulthood is, we have seriousness swarming all around us. Um, 
And it's okay to kind of say, well, I have to consciously think about wonder a little more. And the other thing is, is just to have low thresholds for that kind of stuff, you know, low thresholds for humor, like Heather was talking about, and low thresholds for spontaneity, you know, drive a different route home from work or sleep on the other side of the bed tonight or do something, just change things up. Um, And I think that that kind of threshold concept will help playfulness kind of help you unpack kind of those playful parts of your personality that have been stored away for a long time. Excellent. We, you told us where to find the book. Where do people look for you on the social media? Are you out there on the social media? Yeah. So on on Twitter is, is probably the best spot. Um, And it's, don't have the greatest Twitter handle. <laughs> I used to have Rowdy Dad, but then I changed it. Uh, and it's just A.T. DeBenedad. It's my full last name. But if you were to search on Twitter for my name or the book, then you'll find it. And I'm also the, my website, anthonydebenedet.com, is under construction. It is not ready yet, but it will be soon. So Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Hey, listeners, this has been another episode of Renegade Rules. We'll be back with you next Saturday with, uh, with more, more – we're going to cast some more pods for you, and we'll be back with you with some more. Uh, probably Anthony next week talking about rough, and, rough housing, not rough and – the same thing. Uh, anyway, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> And I'm going to push this button so we stop recording, and then I'm not going to edit that part out. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.